Hello, everybody. This is Rick Manning, President of Americans for Limited Government. Uh, one week, uh, one week ago, about uh, just six days ago, um, no, a week ago, we had the um, elections, um, and um, we all know how that came out. Um, it's a, uh, but I want. There's some real ramifications to uh, what's happening, particularly. I want to talk about both House and the Senate. Um, there's a lot of leadership fights going on. There's, uh, there's a lot of pushing back and forth on, you know, trying to, the establishment types trying to blame Donald Trump for the election results. It's a, and so I want to put it into context to you so you can, so you can kind of decipher, you know, what I say may make some people mad. It may, you know, may, hopefully it challenges you. Hopefully, um, it helps you think about, um, what you think, but, um, because remember, I you know I might know the details in terms of how things work, but ultimately you know the purpose of this is to inform you, and so I'm hoping that we'll see some questions in, in the uh, chat bar that I'll be able to talk about afterwards. Um, because I, I think there's a lot of things to discuss. Um, let's get right down to it. Um, I'm going to focus on the House representatives first. Obviously, the expectation was that the Republicans would do much better in the House than they have. If anybody out there is in, in uh, the state of Colorado, I would encourage you to get in contact with Lauren Boebert's campaign. They need help uh, in terms of curing ballots. Uh, what that means is there are some Republicans who voted uh, absentee or by mail who did not uh, sign the ballot or didn't did something that made it so the ballot was disqualified. Um, the left is busily curing the ballots for her opponent, and she needs help uh, doing that. So if you're in Colorado or in that basic area um, and can, you know, and can spend some time, uh, even if it's just a day, um, give their campaign a call. Give, uh, you just look up at Lauren Boebert's, you know, uh, go on the web, look up her campaign and give them a call. They need, they need help with that. Um, so that's one. Two. Um, Right now, the projections are that the Republicans will have 220, 221 Republican votes in the House, and you need 218 for a majority. So if, let's just say you have 220 just for grins. Um, 220 means you have a three-vote majority. The Democrats would have 215 under those circumstances. So if you if Republicans on any vote, would have to maintain, would, could only lose three votes and, and win and prevail. Given the fact that the Republican conference is widely diverse and on a number of issues, there really isn't a consistent uh, thread, philosophical thread that runs through them. Um, when you run a campaign that basically says the reason to vote for us is that we're not the other guys, um, that means you get people who aren't necessarily in concert in favor of anything. And when you don't run a campaign around issues and philosophy, you get people who aren't going to agree on issues and philosophy. So that's, and when you only have three votes that you, you can lose, it becomes really, really problematic. Um, where this, let me explain to you why, what the House Speaker and House Majority Leader do. They set, they decide the most important thing that you can decide, what gets to go to the House floor, what issues, what votes get to go to the House floor. They get to assign committee chairmen and, and have a majority in the committees 
And so on a party line vote, you can pass something out of committee. Then the rules committee, which typically has a nine to four advantage for the for the incumbent party, the, the, the majority party, um, then writes the rules and decides what, um, if any, amendments are going to be allowed and how those amendments are going to be treated on the floor. And at which point you, and when the bill will be scheduled to go to the floor, at which point a bill comes to the floor and, well, actually, at which point the House votes on the rule and you have to win majority vote on the rule. So if you don't win a majority vote on the rule, the rule goes down and you have no, and you've lost, effectively lost control of the floor. The, the re, Nancy Pelosi was masterful with a five vote majority in maintaining control because she controlled the process from being, beginning to end. And she has, she has philosophical, um, lockstep philosophical agreement um, some of these uh, members who ran as being conservative, I wasn't with Nancy Pelosi, all that, you know, effectively, they lied, okay? Nancy Pelosi was able to hold a five-vote majority in this House in, for the last two years and get anything she wanted, anything she really wanted through the House. And as a result, you know, that's, that is the power of a speaker. That is what a speaker can do when they have philosophical continuity. Republicans don't have that, as I as I stated. Um, there are today um, the House Republicans conference met those who um, uh, they believe will be in the in the uh, House majority. They met today and they talked about things like rules and things like that. But they had a preliminary vote on the speaker, and inside the conference, Kevin McCarthy got all but about two dozen votes for him to be speaker. And so that is, and so what that, if those two dozen people didn't vote for him as speaker in the conference say, well, I'm not going to vote for him to, speak, for, to be speaker on the floor, he won't be speaker. Okay, that's true. Let's talk about ramifications. Kevin McCarthy is a challenge. Let's put it that way. It's challenging. He isn't somebody who's, who's conservative. Um, but let me, one of the ch real challenges is, as everybody out there is undoubtedly heard when people talk about Donald Trump being named speaker or different people, Newt Gingrich being named speaker and different things that get speculated. The fact is the Democrats could go and try to find somebody to be speaker, have 215 votes lined up behind that person who's not in Congress, to have 215 votes lined up behind that person and all they would need to do is pull three Republicans, three Republicans for, to vote for that person. And they would then take control of the House and they'd take control of the committee chairmanships. They'd take control, but most importantly, they'd take control of the agenda. Now, when we look, remember the January 6th commission, there's an obvious person who would fit that bill for them, Liz Cheney. And that would be, if, if, and quite honestly, she's a member of Congress right now. She could be buttonholing her colleagues right now. She only needs three Republicans to vote for. Three Republicans to say, we're, we're going to go after Trump and vote for. And with some of the people who were newly elected, it is, some of them are not, are not big fans of President Trump. Let me put it that way. 
Um, and whether or not they would vote for a Democrat, for Liz Cheney to be speaker along with the Democrats remains to be seen, but it's definitely a threat. It's definitely a possibility. And it is the worst case scenario. A Republican isn't gonna be able to go and vote for Nancy Pelosi, but a never Trump Republican will feel, could feel empowered to go vote for Liz Cheney. That's the worst case scenario, because at that point, every bad thing that the Democrats want to do will be able to go on the floor of the House. And presumably those Republicans who voted for Cheney will have will vote for them. And so you have a you would have a no capacity to use the actual power of a majority in order to control the agenda in the House. The, the Democrats are going to control the Senate. They have at least 50 votes. They may have 51 if they win in Georgia. And quite honestly, Republicans haven't won a, a national race in Georgia in a while. So that's a problem. And so let's just say they're at 50, though. Okay. And they still control the agenda in the House. In the House. Um, you're going to see we'll spend the next two years scrambling for our lives. What will the, will the Democrats sit there and say, gee, we're going to let we're going to keep allowing the filibuster to exist? Maybe, maybe not. If they're 51, if they're 51 and they win in Georgia, they only need one Democrat at that point uh, between Manchin and Cinema. They only need one Democrat to sit there and say, okay, oh, I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote to break the filibuster. So there'll be a big fight. We'll spend two years on tinderhooks trying to keep the Senate from breaking the filibuster. On thing, and this will be things like packing the Supreme Court. It'll be things like, should DC be a state? It'll be items like that, that are, it'll be HR, it'll be the HR1, the attempt to create nationwide mail ballots. They'll try to create nationwide mail ballots. There'll be, you know, all the voter security stuff, all the voter ID stuff, which they tried to get rid of this past year, will be back up, thrown in our face, and the Democrats will be emboldened. They'll be emboldened because they won an election when they should have lost it. And, and by when the Republicans ostensibly should be in control of the House, assuming they don't mess it up. But the reality is the Republicans should have had a very good year. And the Republicans engaged in infighting um, particularly the Senate side, a pretty grotesque infighting that split the party and caused and caused people to lose. And that's the reality. The Republicans also didn't raise, you know, Republican candidates didn't end up raising a lot of money. They were outspent, overwhelmingly out, outspent um, if they're running in the Senate. So there's a, so there's going to be, there are problems. And our country is, at, you know, ultimately, if you have the Republican speaker and he controls the agenda, you can at least kill a vast majority of the Biden legislative agenda. You just kill it. Can you get much done? No, you can't. You can get some done. You can try. But the chance of being able to hold 218 and then being able to get to 60 in the Senate on something that you're trying to do is pretty minimal. So this is not going to be, a, you know, what I, I hope that we will be able to do broad agenda items and set up the stage for 2025. That's not going to be the case the next two years. And, and I can't tell you how disappointed I am that I've had to essentially rip up the plans for 20 for the next two years um, because of this election. But folks, 
it is, I want you to know that it is far better, far, far better to have Kevin McCarthy sitting there talking to people from both the Main Street Caucus, which are the moderates, uh, the liberal Republicans, some people, some people call them rhinos, and the, and the Freedom Caucus, which are the conservatives, and have him talking and being an intermediary and holding, the, and holding it, it all together than it is to have your, your conservative wing basically thrown into Siberia as the moderate wing of the, of the party is negotiating with Liz Cheney to get pieces of the pie that they then can get and divvy up um, because they're voting with the with the Senate with the Democrat minority, and that's your worst case scenario, because all the bad stuff will be blamed on the Republicans, um, and they'll get and Republicans will get no credit for it. So, and what's more, from a country standpoint, we don't have much leeway. Our country is on the precipice, and we have to stop the left from pushing us off the precipice. And that means you have to, you have to, have to, have to do whatever you can do to get 218 votes for a Republican leader. And if his name is Kevin McCarthy, then his name is Kevin McCarthy. We have to get over ourselves um, and not necessarily say, gee, I love Kevin McCarthy, but I love him a whole lot better, more than the conclusion. I like having Kevin McCarthy who is dependent upon, dependent upon the conservatives to keep his power, um, to keep his power. I mean, that's a, that's, at least there's leverage. So that's what, that's where we're at is, is in, a, in the house. Um, there'll be a lot more said about that, but we just had the vote in, internally in the conference and something that's, you'll be reading about. And so I wanted you to know kind of a perspective that you probably won't read. Um, except for if you go to Daily Torch when I, I write it and put it up there. Um, let's talk Senate. Senate's a little bit different. Senate, the Republicans are guaranteed to be in the minority. They're going to have it at most 49 or at least 49, maybe 50 votes. Um, there is talk that McConnell is attempting to convince Joe Manchin to flip. Uh, Joe Manchin, the West Virginia is an absolute dead red Republican state. Joe Manchin um looks at that and he said he's trying to figure out and he's up for election in 2024 it's going to be a hard election for joe manchin they just elected they've got 100 members in the house of delegates in uh, in west virginia i think 81 of them are republican now so we're looking at an overwhelming majority of the of the house members in west virginia are registered republican which is a, a long way from where it used to be um, 30, 40 years ago. So it is a, um, so Joe Manchin is going to have to figure out how to get a, a state that is overwhelmingly Republican and that is under direct assault by the Democrats, by their war on coal, their war on energy. How is he going to survive politically? Well, the best way to survive politically is to go and be a Republican and vote against the Democrat agenda, vote against the Biden agenda and an attempt to actually represent the people of this state. That's the best way to do it. And so that's what the Republicans are trying to do is they're trying to convince um, him to jump, jump to the Republican side. For that to work, you have to have Herschel Walker win in Georgia and give you 50, at which point Joe Manchin gives you 51 and Chuck Schumer no longer gets to be the majority leader. 
that for that. So there's your, you know, that's the real dynamic. That's what has to happen is what Walker has to win before it makes sense. The irony, of course, is Mitch McConnell is fighting for his leadership position. And he is determined that he's going to have that have the vote on the leadership position before December 6th, when Herschel Walker's election is over. Herschel Walker hasn't been complimentary of Leader McConnell. Um, he was supported by Trump, by President Trump. And Leader McConnell criticized Herschel Walker as not being a very good candidate. And Herschel Walker fired back at him. You say you want me to raise money, then you tell everybody who has money not to support me because I'm not a good candidate. And so there's a little bit of bad blood between the two of them. The ultimate irony is if Mitch McConnell believes that Herschel Walker is going to vote against him for leader, he actually, if he hasn't secured the leader position yet, it is actually probably, he will look at it as being in his personal interest to not have Herschel Walker win. So it's a conundrum because in terms of money, McConnell's got a ton of money to spend, but to spend it for the Republican nominee in Georgia to win, you sit there and you go, well, so what? So what if you've got a lot of money? So it puts the interest, his, so McConnell's interests, personal interests clash with the country's interests. I would hope he'd put the country's interests first, but there's been a lot of history indicating that maybe it hasn't in the past. So it is a, so that's where we're at. It's a, it's, we're in a, we're in an absolute upside down, gut-wrenching world here in DC. And there's gonna be a lot of people putting their necks on the line. You saw Marco Rubio put his neck on the line. You've seen Ron Johnson from Wisconsin put his neck on the line saying no to this nonsense. Uh, no to McConnell and saying, you know, if you're not in favor of a Republican majority, then you shouldn't be the Republican leader. Uh, it's a paraphrase of what Rubio said, but it's pretty darn close. So it is a, um, so yeah, there's a big battle, internal battle. It's a, you know, the civil war is playing out um, in term, inside the Republican party amongst the most unlikely place, the Senate, where the Senate, I mean, it's a clean, you know, these guys have been serving together a long time. And while slights, you know, kind of little paper cuts and pushing back and forth happen, but they also, live life together. Their families know each other. They're, it's a, you know, they truly do live life together. And as a result, um, this kind of uh, fratricide is unusual in the Senate. And McConnell, quite honestly, I, I think I signed a letter saying that, uh, that Mitch McConnell, it's, that there's, it's time it's time to make a change. Uh, signed it with a bunch of other conservatives, um, but it's a you know we we have a, a we have a, a bloodletting going on, and the thing that we have to be able to do at the end of it is make certain that we're able to hold um, a filibuster and keep the the ten votes you know no, lose no more than eight votes on any bill. Um, that goes to the Senate, so the filibuster you know, holds. And if we don't, and we have to make you know, fight like crazy to try to make it, make it so the Democrats don't collapse the filibuster, because it is essentially an internal rule that can be changed by 50 votes in the Senate plus 
a plus the um, vice president to say, oh, we're just going to override the rule to the, on this particular occasion and effectively end the filibuster as we know it. And so that's your that's sort of the circumstances of the losses that have occurred and the shall we say the um, the, the interesting counting procedures that have existed around the country. Um, I, I'll explain more than more about it in a second, but I'm going to go to I'm going to answer questions on this, and then I'll go and talk a little bit about Poland. <sighs> they have to go back to one-day voting. Yeah, I, I would love if they did that. Um, it's uh, it's it's really. Uh, Here's the conundrum. Republicans believe, and it's constitutional, that states have primacy on the vote on the rules for voting, except for for some basic uh, equal rights protections as that were put in the Fourteenth Amendment. So, while my while my preference would be to say, we're just going to have a national holiday. It's going to call it. We're going to call it Election Day. And that's when the voting occurs and everything else, you know, uh, with except for military, you know, you you have to get to the polls. You know, you, you can't just we can't we're not going to send ballots out to every registered voter and say and whether they live at the address they're registered at or not and pretend it's an honest election. We're not going to have ballot collection boxes out on the streets at night and as we have cameras showing people bringing 50 to 100 votes and dumping them in the ballot collection boxes with no capacity to distinguish those votes from other votes that were put in there legitimately and, we're, and call it a fair and honest election. Those are, you know, that's, we have to have the capacity to know that the one person, one vote principle is upheld. And that might be the saving grace from a constitutional perspective because that's a fundamental principle of our country, of our constitutional republic, and if that principle is being is being denied based upon the voting systems that are put in place that make it so the votes are insecure, and that we have a laughable system that essentially we pretend to vote, but you spend weeks afterwards trying to figure out what the outcome was, and as we know and have watched over the last few years. You know, the, the longer it takes for them to count the votes, the more likely the votes are going to go the way that uh, the Democrats want them to. That has been consistent over time, and it's a, uh, and so it's a challenge. So, yeah, Dale, I would support doing that. Let me show you your post. Um, Dale, I would support doing that. It is a, um, it's a little bit, it's counter to federalism to some extent, but having an unsecure voting system makes absolutely no sense and it's dangerous. Um, Alma Smith, the government was not formed by our founders to control anything except keep our citizens safe, which they're failing to do. They should not interfere with states' rights. They should not be involved in our healthcare, education, voting issues, or anything but safety of our citizens. Well, Alma, the, the sad news is they're involved in everything but the safety of our citizens. And oh, by the way, the federal government doesn't really have much to do with criminal law and shouldn't. The federal government, their real job is to protect the border and protect the country, the national security. And, you know, we know that that is, we just had actually just came out today. The, we had the highest number of, uh, of illegals encountered at the border 
in October that we had in the entire recorded history, over 200, about 225,000, if I remember the number right. And so there was, so we've had a, once again, and that's not counting the ones who get away, that's just counting people turn that who get who get captured themselves in so it is a so yeah the border is is not secure it's dangerous from a national security perspective perspective and it's crazy we had the we had a case in fentanyl or in new york and i, I had a hard time not being pretty bitter and, and about it but a case in new york came out um that a person who had um 20, rainbow fentanyl pills that were targeted for children. And fentanyl is a deadly, deadly, deadly drug. Targeted children. The rainbow colors were to try to trick children into taking them. He was caught with 20,000 of these pills. And he was released without bail because he was a nonviolent criminal in the state of New York because of cashless bail. And this person had the intent to commit murder and to murder 20 million or 20,000 people in New York with those pills. Any one of them was death. And he was willing to, to kill 20,000 people so he could make $14.22, whatever the money was. And yet the state of New York let him out on ca using cashless bail, saying it wasn't a violent offense. Sorry, I, I got, there you have no, it's just astonishing to me that we have continue to vote for this. Um, Kathleen Carey. So I'll call the shell game and the American people are a victim. It's all a, all a game of politicians pretending there is actually a two-party system. You know, I would have argued with you, Kathleen, but it's our job to take it back. I've got an idea on how to do that. I only have to raise about $100 million to do it, but it's I have an idea on how to do that. And it's a, um, but we live in, it's an old saying, Chinese proverb says, but you live in interesting times and we live in interesting times. Um, Rick Mahoney, Mahaney. I don't want McConnell's leader for Senate leadership. I dislike him immensely. You know, Rick, it's, I'm going to come clean. Um, Mr. McConnell has helped us in the past uh, stop the federalization of local zoning. Was an, that was an Americans for Limited Government initiative, and Mr. McConnell helped make that happen. Um, it was probably primary in making that happen after we spent three or four years pressuring and, and working on it, and getting people to call it and the like, and developing a constituency again in favor of blocking the Obama amendment. He helped us stop or at least delay the transfer of um, the federal control of the internet to a private entity that kind of led the way towards this entire cancel culture internet that we have now. We had it stopped for two years. Um, it would not have passed to stop it if not for Mr. McConnell. Um, and then it wouldn't have, we wouldn't have ended up losing if he'd said, no, we're not removing the, the rider out of the, out of the funding bill. So it was a, so it's kind of a double-edged sword, but um, the truth is the Senate needs new leadership. That's just the truth. And it's a, 
but sometimes you have to be careful what you wish for, uh, because I don't know who that new leadership would end up being. But that's your, you know, whether they're, they'll be competent in terms of, in terms of fighting the, um, really the, the parliamentary battles that make up most of the fights in the Senate. So that's a, that's a, kind of a reality check on it. <clears throat> the last thing I want to talk about just briefly is Poland. Um, I would I would urge people to look at uh, on dailytorch.com. I wrote a piece uh, dealing with World War II, World War I, actually, and equating, kind of drawing the situation of what happened, how we got into World War I, or how the world got into, at least Europe, got into World War I, and our current situation with Ukraine. There is, we just had Russia, Russia is in a desperation stage. They are losing on the ground to a, and their troops are, and, and their equipment not performing very well, but they have a much, but they have much greater technical capacity than the Ukrainians. And they have the capacity to uh, destroy Ukrainian in, infrastructure in a, in, a, in a major way. And so they've been, so the Russians have been um, sending missiles into Ukrainian electric, basically the electric utility infrastructure and creating blackouts in places like Kiev and Lviv and other places in, uh, in, in Ukraine um, because winter's coming in, in Ukraine. It gets cold in Ukraine. And if you don't have electricity, you don't have heat. If you don't have heat, you freeze. So there's a so they're attacking the infrastructure to try to break the will of the Ukrainians, um, and whether that's with the objective of getting an, a a peace agreement that draws lines that the that the Russians would like, or if it's uh, an attempt to uh, to kill the Zelensky government, I don't know. I can't read Putin's mind. What I do know is this: two of those missiles hit Poland. Poland is a NATO ally. Two Poles were killed from those missiles. And this is the exact kind of mistake that led to World War I. And it is a, and we're living in a, in a really, really dangerous, precarious place um, with the various alliances around the world that exist that could turn this battle over Ukraine very easily into a battle over the entirety of the world, um, pitting the United States and, and Europe um, against Russia, China, um, much of South America, um, some of Central America, um, and various countries in Africa that that, that are uh, aligned with the Chinese, um, countries in many countries in Asia that for better or worse, see their interests is lying with China because they're afraid of them and they're not afraid of us. It is, and so we've got some chance. So this is a world war that is on the brink and Two missiles hitting Poland, killing two Poles. I pray it's not 
the equivalent, look back in history as the equivalent of uh, Serbian, a Serbian killing the Archduke Ferdinand, which triggered a series of alliances that threw, threw Europe into a war that nobody wanted. But in this case, the Chinese do want war. So that's a, that's, and obviously the Russians do because they instigated one. So but it's just, we're in a dangerous situation and it's, and if I had great answers, I'd give them to you. Um, there aren't any great answers. I do know that the one great answer is we better prepare for war. We better prepare for war. We can't play around. We better be preparing for war. We better stop, stop spending so much on the domestic side and start and beef up our military. And, and oh, by the way, stop training our military to hate America and start training our, America, uh, our military to be able to fight to win, providing them with logistics. It's, it's astonishing that in Ukraine that we've discovered that the United States doesn't have ammunition to train its own troops because we've been donating it, so much ammunition to Ukraine. That's a, it's, it's absurd that we have effectively degraded our own capacity to such a degree um, out of a desire to help Ukraine. And that is a, um, and that's dangerous. A weak America makes for a dangerous world. And if there's one thing the Republicans hopefully can come together on in the House is that we need to strengthen America, strengthen our capacity in terms of our military capacity and focus on what's the, what actually their job is. And if they can come together on that, at least maybe we'll make it something out of this next two years. Um, because a weak America, it's, it's too dangerous of a world to go in with an addled president and a weakened military. And can't do much about the addled president, but Congress can do something about the weakened military. And so I'm gonna just see if we have any other comments here. Um, and if I don't, I'm gonna just move along. Um, I'm going I'm to do this one. Um, R1 Gambler, GOP majority, LOL. At least 15 of them will reliably vote with the Dems every single time. I keep pretending we don't live under a party permanent security state rule. Um, well, I don't know that 15 of them will reliably vote with the Democrats every, every single time. Um, I do know that it'll be a very difficult job for whoever's speaker, if the Republicans, if McCarthy or some other Republican gets to be speaker, to hold, hold the line on a number of votes um, and it's a and that will be very difficult but but I do that's why I'm so concerned what you're stating is why I'm so concerned about the possibility of what the outcome would be if McCarthy doesn't have the votes to be speaker because if the if he doesn't have the votes to be speaker it becomes a, it may become a free-for-all and the Republicans won't necessarily control the agenda I'm going to tell you a story that happened in California many years ago. Um, there's a guy named Willie Brown, who was a set speaker of the assembly in, uh, which is the House of Representatives in uh, California. Um, you probably have heard of Willie Brown. He was, shall we say, Kamala Harris's mentor. Um, he's from San Francisco, still alive. Probably the most brilliant politician in my life, that I've seen in my lifetime. Republicans had a good election year. They got the majority in the House and the Assembly. I, I know this because I, I was, grew up in California. Um, but 
They got the majority in the assembly. And, but they had a bloodletting. They fought amongst one another over who was going to get to be the speaker and who was going to get the leader and all that. And a couple of Republicans didn't, you know, got basically were disappointed in the outcome. They went over to Willie Brown. They cut a deal with Willie Brown. They voted for Willie Brown for speaker, and each one of them got to be committee chair. And the Republicans, with, and there's 80, 80 assembly members, so they needed 41, with 41. 41 Republicans in the, in the assembly and Willie Brown having 39 Democrats, Willie Brown was still speaker because two Republicans went over and cut a deal. Now, I can tell you who those Demo Republicans are and I, I, you know, it's been a long time, but uh, wounds still are fresh, but it's not relevant to this conversation. What is relevant is Nancy Pelosi is also from San Francisco. Nancy Pelosi watched that occur. Nancy Pelosi knows exactly what can happen. Kevin McCarthy is from California. He wasn't in the assembly when that occurred, but he's certainly very much aware of it because he was politically active in volunteer front and in, in young Republicans and the like during that time frame. So you have a, so both of these individuals who are players have seen exactly the circumstance where a third part, where somebody ends, you know, where Republicans choose to cut a deal because they are, they are, um, shall we say, disgruntled with a leadership outcome. And Nancy, so Nancy Pelosi, who already has got Liz Cheney and turned her into a into a, a star, um, except somebody who's acceptable to the Democrats because of January sixth. You don't have to be a member of Congress to be speaker. Liz Cheney will not be a member of Congress. Now we have to make certain that she isn't speaker. And that's the message I have. And it's what I'm telling the Republicans in the House because that's the real danger to our represent Repu Republic is an, a runaway House of Representatives with a ostensibly a Republican as speaker who is allowing things to run roughshod over civil liberties and a Senate that has only 49 Republicans in it and they break the filibuster on, on issues like packing the Supreme Court, at which point we can pretty, and, and the election laws, okay? And at which point, it gets to be really, really difficult. And our country, you know, we're in extraordinary danger now. Um, we can't afford to slide any further. We have to fight a holding action for the next two years and we can't do it if we don't have an actual Republican speaker. And hence, those are, I would warn any of those Republicans who are sitting there trying to figure out, so, you know, or working on, you know, whether or not McCarthy should be speaker or not, I would urge them to consider their choices very wisely because sometimes you get what you want. And when you get in being McCarthy, not speaker, but what you, but the reality is what you get in exchange is a very, very, very bad alternative. And with that, I'm going to sign off. Happy new, sorry for the unhappy kind of review, but I wanted you to know what's actually going on and some thoughts. You can agree or you can disagree with me. That's fine. Um, but those are my thoughts. Having been back here for a while, having dealt with leadership races for a while, I just wanted you guys to be aware 
of what's happening so you can be smart when you read what's being reported in the news. And with that, this is Rick Manning, Americans for Limited Government. Um, keep tuning in. We will give you updates. And if you haven't already, do the – oh, hold on, hold on. There's one other thing. If you – we have a calendar somewhere around here. I'm supposed to get, show you the calendar. Um, we have a calendar, okay? Go to getliberty.org, getliberty.org, and get the calendar. It's a, it's a great Christmas gift. We're only going to be offering it until – uh, Black Friday, because I want to make certain it gets out before Christmas, and we don't control the shipping, so I have to rely on other people. So we're we're going to sell it through Black Friday, um, with a guarantee it gets back for Christmas. So if you have any any friends or anybody who's would love to get a, a calendar that um, is a bunch of Tony you know Tony Bronco tunes um, that Americans for Limited Government paid for, commissioned. We've been working with Tony for years. If you want to do that, and you think this would be a good gift that somebody would enjoy, it is, uh, it's affordable. Go to a um, getliberty.org, getliberty.org, and check, just punch the button for the merchandise. You have this calendar. We have puzzles. We have an ALG ornament. We have about 30, 35 items up there. We have some T-shirts. We have some hats. Um, different things I think people will like that are all focused on liberty and, um, and any profit um, goes to fight for freedom. Every pro every, any profit that we get off of this is goes directly into the fight for freedom um, at ALG. So, um, it's, so you're not only uh, getting great presents, but you're also doing good. And with that, I'm going to let you go. Thank you very much and uh, have a blessed day.